to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. You don't sound embarrassed, Adam. I'm Ben Harrison. Very proud to be here and doing this yeah. live to tape live to on tape Twitch. In a, in a room with worse acoustics than we normally use yeah. uh, because we're, we're doing worse a live stream. Worse camera work than we usually have on a recorded episode. Regular listeners will know that this is being recorded at the same time as the previous live stream. Right. That's right. This is the thrilling conclusion of the trip to the post office that I made. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. Uh, this first letter is from Martinson in Pullman, Wa. Where's Pullman relative to Seattle? It's the hills just outside of Wazoo. Oh, look at that card. Today is a good day for pie, it says on the card, and it's Worf in his Deep Space Nine edition uniform. It's a really good looking picture. All right. Here's the letter. Dear Ben and Adam, longtime viewer, since my sister turned me on to the pod back when you were still covering TNG, so glad you guys are doing Voyager The Voy, since it's my favorite series. I have predominantly been listening to Greatest Gen, but then I began listening to Greatest Disco with Lower Decks and discovered that y'all have covered some TOS and other miscellaneous nerdy stuff. So I'll be doing a deeper dive there. This podcast has been a godsend over the past several years as I have encountered major life changes that have tried to unbalance my mental health. I know that feeling. I know that you have mentioned not feeling good about hearing someone listens to Gradius Gen while trying to sleep, uh, but bear with me while I explain. (laughs) Between moving out of my parents' house for the first time, late in life, degree completion and obtaining a new job in a new field plus lockdown my anxiety has been running on full speed many nights i have trouble sleeping i turn on old greatest gen episodes and it's like listening to two friends talking comforting and still after countless viewings able to make me laugh your pod has the power to override what medication mindfulness music and everything else i have tried can't touch thanks so much kate Wow. Thank you, Kate. What a really lovely letter. Thank you so much, Kate. Should we get into this next one? Open it up! This is from Dan McCoy. Is this the Dan... No, this is not... This can't be the Dan McCoy from the Flophouse podcast, could it? This is also our Dan McCoy. This is another of of our Dan's McCoy. We have many. Right. So there's a bunch of little scraps of paper in here. The first one says, Adam and Ben, love you guys. Enjoy the record. It's my STTNG punk band. Replicator rations were low, so only 47 copies were available. You got the first? Enjoy. Wow. These are real LPs, it looks like. Check it out on clear vinyl. Look at that. Gorgeous. Read off those song names while I get some detail of the sleeve. Looks like tracks include The Game, Genesis, Crystalline Entity, Iborg, and Skin of Evil. Amazing. The, the aesthetics are flawlessly executed. Yeah. It definitely seems like something you'd come across 
at a merch table. This is great. Oh, look, there is liner notes. Crystalline Entity is respectfully dedicated to the colonists who lost their, lost their lives on Omicron Theta in the massacre of 2338. Man. Mm. Never forget. RSVP, that one lady that really wanted to do it with Riker. Yeah. Oh, hey, uh, there is a band camp for this band. Oh, let's give out, let's give out uh, the band camp. They're theprimedirective.bandcamp.com. Wow. So check them out there if you aren't lucky enough to get a real handmade by one person only vinyl record. All right, Adam, a couple more packages here. Should we get into this next one? Yeah. This is from Blue Dot Planet in North Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, we have a note here, Adam. Mm-hmm. It says, a gift for you. May your shine be magical so you represent your pod with honor. You should consider offering them on podshop.biz from Bree Belky. Bree Belky? Bree Belky sent us something. There's not a lot of Code 47s that go by without Bree Belky popping back up. Bree rules. You want to do the honors? Oh, shit. Look at that. These are oil control papers for my super oily face. (laughs) Should we see how uh, they make us look on camera? Oh, you know what? The thing that's going to look great for the purposes of the show is not any sort of change in our faces, but how how, how gross and disgusting these sheets become after dragging them across our stupid oily faces. I have always wanted to try one of these, but I never have. Oh, this is happening. (laughs) Adam is rubbing the sheet on my forehead. I'm going to get your T-zone. We'll see what you're working with here, Adam. Okay. Mine is so much worse than yours. Look at how bad mine is. This is the one that was on Adam's face. This Uh is the one that was on my face. My face was fucked up, apparently. Uh, Wow. These are clean and clear brand oil control film Uh from the uh, venerable Johnson & Johnson company. This is not branded content, but I'm happy to shill for a company that can do anything to make my face look any better than it does. (laughs) And our thanks to Bree for doing what she can to uh, help out this situation. Yeah, a wonderful gift. You know what I like is she sent so many. This is going to last three tour dates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, let's open this last box, Adam. It's from Lou H. in Philadelphia, PA, and it's to the greatest generation. Mm -hmm. Just ripping into it. All right. Wow. You're not going to believe this. It's a Tom Paris mutated action figure. <laughs> this is amazing. Uh, look at this thing, Ben. Look, new, at, look new at this giant feet. New listeners won't know why we're so excited, but uh, people watching the live stream will know that on the previous Code 47 we recorded, we opened up this exact action figure. Except we devalued the last one by opening mm. by opening it. This one is going to stay in its packaging. It's going to stay in mint condition. Where it will be sure to gain in value as the years go on. Uh-huh. All right, there's also a card. Is this a Royal Canadian Mounted Policeman here? Uh, oh, yeah. Is that it's, who that is? And he's helping, he's helping a Santa Claus. <laughs> maybe put together a model wagon. Wow, don't talk to cops, Santa Claus. What are you doing? Yeah. Here's what the card says. Dear Bennett Adam, long-time listener, first-time caller, I'm glad that you liked Threshold so much (laughs) that I thought you'd enjoy this Threshold Tom Paris. Wow. Complete with lizard babies. (laughs) In parentheses, I don't even know why I have this. Close parentheses. 
But I'm sure this will be the centerpiece of the mountain of memorabilia for the podcast you're a little bit embarrassed to have. Love the pod. Too Bad Voyager has never peaked again after Threshold. Whoa, hot take. Enjoy Live Long and Shimoda, Lou. Amazing. Thank you, Lou. Thanks, Lou. Thank you for sending this. I, I always love when we get duplicates of these characters so that you can have one and I can have one. Thank you, Lou. And thank you to everyone who sent stuff in. If you're listening and would just love to send something in, reach out to one of our social media accounts on Instagram or Twitter. And uh, Bill Tilly will see if it's something we're interested in uh, having on the show. And I would say at this point, we're probably good on cosmetics. <laughs> Anything on the haba aisle of a drugstore, I'd, I'd say we're pretty good on for the moment. And I think we're also good on Threshold Tom Paris. We've got a lot of those now. <laughs> There are like four more Threshold Tom Paris action figures on their way to us as we speak. <laughs> Bill, you've got to control the influx of Threshold Tom Paris's. Well, Adam, do you want to get into the season premiere of season three? I can hardly believe we're on to a new season of Star Trek Voyager. It's season three, episode one. Basics, part two. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. Lest we forget about Tom Paris in the shuttle, he needs a co-pilot is what he needs because he's like, ostensibly he has the shuttle on auto while he's in the back kind of making repairs on the fly. Last time on Star Trek Voyager. I don't have time for this. He's way less dead than he was made to appear both to us and to the Kazon at the end of the last episode. And that's nice. That's, that's reassuring. This is his version of fallen samurai hair, though. Like when, <laughs> when the sculpting clay has tussled it a little bit more than usual. Yeah. That's the look that you have here. B-Dunks doesn't wear it with enough length to yeah. really sell the samurai having been slain. He's got a little bit of schmutz on his face. You like to see that? Yeah. He's working on uh, repairing some isolinear chips when some bangers get get dropped, and uh, there's a very fun, I'm going to fucking kill you because you inconvenienced me space combat scene between him and a Kazon shuttle. Were you surprised at how explicitly Maverick-y the strategy was here? <laughs> it was very Maverick-y, wasn't it? I mean, it always seems like a good strategy, and when whenever I see a dogfight that doesn't employ this strategy, I'm like, there's a trick to this, you guys. Yeah. You know? <laughs> We've seen it over and over again, and it's easy for Paris. Angry Paris hits yeah. the brakes and let lets the Kazon vessel fly right by, and bang, it's over. And then he's back to work. He doesn't even get to relish yeah. in the victory. You don't see a Starfleet just murder an enemy with extreme prejudice like this very often. I mean, they did draw first blood, but like it feels like a a dogfight in space where the other pilot was killed and it's like that that was like an NPC that does not matter in this episode. No, I, and until you brought up the many valences to the the feeling about this, uh, I didn't think much about this case on person at all. What I wanted was Paris to lean out the window and slap a, a pine cone on on the side of his fighter jet and uh, and get back to the carrier. It's nightfall on the planet, and uh, they found the shredded remains of Skulk Hogan's uniform. Shredded Hogan. Really, yeah. is what he probably ended up as. We never find his body. Like, his body proper? Well, when you get dinoed. 
<laughs> You're probably not going to leave a lot of remains behind. They don't scan the worm thing that they find later. Like, maybe he's still alive in there. Oh, yeah. Maybe it's like Being a... slowly a, digested. What's the kind of hypno worm or whatever in yeah. Discovery? Yeah. They used to be everywhere, you know, before the... Before the Federation, though. I mean, it could be a Sarlacc situation. I mean, Sonequa Martin-Green spent three or four minutes in the belly of one of those things and then got yeah. spat out, so... Yeah, it felt bad that everyone was very quick to accept the death of Skull Kogan here. It would have been interesting to see Basics Part 2 turn not into a broad conclusion to the many storylines that were set up in Basics Part 1, but just kind of a Jonah and the whale, but it's Hogan and the dino. I would like that quite a bit. And then we see the VeggieTales version of it, like for the kids that we know are a part of this, yeah. this crew. Naomi Wildman's going to grow up loving that one. Janeway is vidi and pissed in this moment. Like, she rejects the idea of grieving Hogan in this moment because they got work to do. You yeah. can tell that, that she hasn't given up hope because the hair is still tight. Hair's still tight. There's nothing samurai-like happening to her just yet. And uh, this uh, kind of turns into a bit of a Voyage of the Mimi situation. Chakotay is proposing making uh, hydro stills using Hogan's uniform. And uh, then they got to find something to eat. And uh, Janeway says, well, why don't we relish in our bodies? And uh, everybody's like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, it's kind of a in-joke among us captains in Starfleet. But uh, check out these worms over here. And she like turns over a rock and there's just like a perfect writhing mass of mealworms. <laughs> You know, it's funny, every time we captains get recalled back to Starfleet HQ, you know, <laughs> they put it on the menu as kind of a wink-wink, like, all right, we get it, we're self-conscious about that one bad day. I was paranoid about it at first, and I used to uh, strap a, a piece of sheet metal over the back of my neck just as a preventative measure. <laughs> yeah. Pretty interesting tack for Janeway, given her preference for vegetable broth. She is just ready to get down on those worms. And she basically orders Neelix to start the prep. <laughs> did you notice what she did in this scene, though? Because she, she, she has this fistful of worms, and she's like, if anybody has anything negative to say about eating these fucking worms, then they can go fuck themselves. <laughs> and she walks out, and she throws them back on the ground. <laughs> There's coffee in that order from there, Captain. She needed to take the bite. She needed to, like, she needed to just... Fistful of worms to everybody right then and there. I did not think about that example she could have set. Like, yeah. it's all talk until it's time to eat the worm. You have to be the worm eater you want to see in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and that was your chance. Delicious. On Voyager, they haven't, like, converted the inside of the ship yet. There's not, like, a renovation going on. You're not hearing, like, chains rattling anywhere. <laughs> they haven't started putting up uh, altars to various combat victories yet uh seska walks into a totally normal seeming six bay and calls for the emh who comes out from behind a corner and uh tries to play it off like he just uh, appeared the way he's supposed to the energy here is really fun and weird right because seska is returning to a ship on which she used to serve she yeah. knows all the places she knows how things operate she knows how to get a sense of whether or not the EMH is on their side. And, 
I mean, she like she also famously avoided the EMH a lot when she was on board before. So right. so she doesn't have like a ton to go on as far as whether or not she can build trust with this thing. But she kind of is satisfied that he is not going to fuck them over in this scene. I sure did think the baby was a prop in this moment, just as an excuse to go in there and feel out whether Doc Holliday could be trusted. But it turns <laughs> out uh, the baby plays a great big part in this scene. Yeah. A huge bomb gets dropped in this scene. Maury is there. <laughs> they get the paternity back. Chakotay is not. I had not noticed a studio audience in, in Six Bay at this moment, Shocking. but they just explode. They went ape. Seska is crying. She runs backstage and the camera runs with her just as fast. For some reason, there's a hollow Chakotay there and he's celebrating. I was never good at this as a child and I'm still not good at it. Whatever the the <laughs> paternity equivalent of spiking the ball is, he is, he is doing that in this moment. <laughs> Yeah, he's a, he, he actually gets a fine from the NFL for an over-big celebration in the end zone. I mean, the question is, who is the father, Ben? And given that the baby is Cardazon, <laughs> Maj Kala seems to be the leading candidate, although it is not explicitly said that Kala is the father. It isn't. The thing that they are remarking on is like, there's no pinecone. How could this be a Kazon? Right. Turns out pinecone is a recessive trait. You have to have both parents have pinecone for that to be passed on to the to the baby. That makes spoon dominant trait, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. Very dominant. Spoon dominant, pinecone recessive. <laughs> Everybody knows it. It's basic health class, you guys. Yeah. I love how the doc, like after the scene's over, the doc sort of withdraws back into the office to record a personal log about <laughs> like, boy, what a day. Sure would have liked to have told Chakotay the good news. I mean, Seska seems really pissed about losing this bit of leverage over Chakotay, which sort of surprised me because Chakotay is basically off the board. I thought that the leverage was about getting Voyager and and succeeding in the mission. Now that the mission has been, quote unquote, a success at this point, who gives a shit about leverage over Chakotay anymore? But she really seems to give a shit. I mean, maybe maybe what it is is her processing the complexities of telling Kala or whoever that they are, in fact the father of this child and maybe there are things about that that we don't know that are going to be hard for her but mm-hmm. i thought there there was some something interesting about the way she she played that moment the doc hollow brainstorms how he might be able to fight back given that he thinks he's probably the only person on his side of the conflict on board the ship and he does that thing where he asks the computer are there any starfleets Left on board, and the computer says, Oh my god, there's a Brad Dourif in the Jeffries tube. <laughs> I know, I've been hiding. And so Doc Holliday blows in a, a call to him. This sort of sets up a dynamic where Lon McLean and uh, EMH Vel Johnson uh, form a, a radio relationship while Lon is, uh, you know, going around the ship doing 
as much as he can to spoil the plot of the case on. Is it too difficult to say how legend old Val Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> it's too hard to say. I couldn't even do it that time. What the hell are you talking about, man? Ho legend old Val Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> rightfully brad duroff is like hey this is this is not a great time for me right now i'm I making can... fist with my toes on the floor you know how in the, in every horror movie the damsel in distress hides in a closet while being on a phone talking just a little bit too loud <laughs> i'm not going out like that yeah so doc erases suitor's record from the ship's computer and this is a great strategy by him, because as things start to play out, I mean, the very first thing that Seska and co. are going to do is try to determine if there are saboteurs aboard the ship as time goes on. Back down on the planet, they uh, have found that this planet gets quite cold at night, and that's bad news, but... Uh... If anyone's going to complain about the heat tonight... Snuggle up to these worms. <laughs> she throws them on the ground. Chicote is like, why don't you do it first? Why do you keep doing this? You fucking snuggle, Janeway. <laughs> you claim to be the captain, but what are you captain of? The ship is gone. Stop telling me what to eat and snuggle. <laughs> They don't have to eat those worms anymore, though, because uh, there are some ostriches on this planet, and oh, yeah. uh, Kim and uh, and BLT have come back with those, as well as some gherkins. So uh, we've got a lot of ger- gherkin continuity on uh, on Voyager. I was looking at the uh, Memory Alpha entry for this episode, and along with the standard information it gives you about, like, the episode number and the production date and its release date and stuff. It does say that the arc of this story is Gherkin part three of three. <laughs> I mean, TNG has a Slickback trilogy. I think Voyager has a Gherkin trilogy. I think so too, yeah. So this is a, a scene of, of Janeway kind of going around, you know, connecting with everybody and checking in. Tuvok has busied himself with making bows and arrows and Sin Wildman is very worried about her baby, who is not reacting super well to being on baby's first planet. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Ch- Chakotay is struggling like hell to get a fire lit, because, uh, as we said, it's chilly as hell. Chakotay really bristles at not being good at the things people insist that he probably would be as a Native American. He's like, racist expectations are being placed on me, and I can't live up to them. It's pretty rough. Trapped on a barren planet, and you're stuck with the only Indian in the universe who can't start a fire by rubbing two sticks together. I know what they were thinking writing this in. Like, it was racist to do it, but, like, they could have just not, you know? Like, they could have just not had a scene where they were struggling to light a fire. This scene just subscribes to the Chicote rule that we've talked about before. Like, yeah. I think that maybe what they wanted was an excuse for the captain to change her hairstyle for season three. Yeah. And that's what it leads to, is that they they need, like, locks of love to contribute to the fire-starting project. And uh, this is, the, for the first time, Janeway volunteers to go first. <laughs> She's like, I wasn't going to eat those fucking disgusting bugs, but I'll let you cut my hair. You know who had a great head of hair for this use was Tuvix. 
And not only was it was it long and and billowy, it was also mm-hmm. super greasy. So it probably would have just exploded <laughs> when you touched a lit match to it. That's that's what you call fizzle material. Yeah, too bad they don't have any Doritos on the planet. I just recently uh, heard that Doritos are great for kindling. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, what a what a time to be alive! The TikTok era. <laughs> you want to hoard those Doritos though, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to yeah. give them up for kindling on it. On a planet that doesn't have food options. Do not. So this fire, once they get the fire going, spirits are definitely lifted. Yeah. They which is nice to see. Singing some uh, some campfire tunes, going around, telling ghost stories. Neelix is, uh, is off to uh, collect more gherkins. <laughs> I keep turning over rocks, and all of the gherkins are very tiny and wiggly. <laughs> These are not the kind of gherkins I'm used to working with. Yeah. These are really little. I mean, maybe they'll make nice cornichons or something if we yeah. could find some brine. So Neelix is so focused on the gherkin issue that he just sort of wanders further outside of camp than, than most people agree is really safe. Kess walks out to follow him, and you know what's going to happen. You can't wander out into the dark. She gets grabbed by a Cro-Magnon. Buddy system, guys. Give me a fucking break. I mean, their buddy system is that they both get captured by Cro-Magnons. <laughs> yeah. So in that sense, I guess they did it. Yeah. <laughs> what did they think was going to happen? <laughs> At this point, the race car bed style shuttlecraft that Tom Paris is piloting has just stacks and stacks of pinecone decals. <laughs> pasted all over the outside of it and uh you're not supposed to cover the windshield paris but uh great <laughs> he's job run out of space <laughs> yeah where else are you supposed to put him uh he has uh, gotten on facetime with commander paxim of the talaxians armada i guess and uh, is is uh, making an appeal for help commander paxim is not super confident that his ships are really capable of going toe-to-toe with the kind of might that the Kazon are bringing to bear. And he's like, hey, I know we kind of said we'd like help you guys out if you really needed it, but uh, this is kind of a non-starter for me. But uh, but Paris has an ace up his sleeve. Paris is like, you owe us. We took Neelix off your hands. <laughs> and I know how to disable their phasers. Mm. And they basically don't have any torpedoes left. I know every vulnerability, every blind spot. Don't worry, I have a plan. Am I making any sense here? Very well. This is very persuasive in the moment. Paris is like, look, if, I, if you can just buy me a little bit of time to finish these repairs, our shuttle, your fleet, my knowledge of turning off a lot of the Voyager's defensive systems. That's a hell of a combination. That's a combination that, that equals a survivable fight when the time yeah. comes. So that's, that's exciting. You know what's even more exciting? Brad Dourif as Lon Suter. (laughs) He's popping out of the Jeffries tube in Six Bay, and he is shook looking. He comes in and starts talking to the EMH, who is like, great, let's get get to work on this plan. Not even pausing to, like, wave a light over the open cut on Suter's head. Yeah. Can we please, like, patch up Lon Suter? (laughs) A little bit of care and feeding of your human weapon would be nice. The cabin next to his exploded today. (laughs) Very interesting scene where they agree that the ship must be retaken and that Suter is kind of 
because he is able to leave Six Bay, the one that's going to have to do it, but he is really reticent to engage in an activity that will require murder of him. This scene is so interesting to me because the doc in the middle of it recognizes how wrong he might be to place any trust in a compromised Brad Dourif Mm -hmm. in this moment. And so the doc begins to suspect the worst from him going forward. And that feeling is reflected not by Brad Dourif convincing him otherwise, but by Brad Dourif suspecting the worst from himself. Yeah. And having to kill someone after all the work he's done. It's basically exactly the opposite of most interactions you and I have where one of us is feeling really bad and the other person's like, no, man, it's fine. You're good. Like, what if, what if both of us were like, no, man, you're a pile of shit and you were letting the team down. And I am too. (laughs) (laughs) No one lets us down like me. (laughs) You can't even do that right. Hey, I don't want to get in a letdown measuring contest with you. I'd lose. <laughs> I I measure my dick from the tip. <laughs> and I measure my letdowns from the base. <laughs> it's a really interesting scene. It felt like a fun challenge in like movie trailer writing, like He's the best murderer out there, and he's coming out of retirement for one last job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if we haven't said it enough up until now, Brad Dourif was the absolute best casting job for this character. No I, one else feels as haunted. Like, I love playing fantasy casting with you while yeah. we watch these episodes. I cannot come up with a better casting choice than Brad Dourif. It's so good. He and Robert Picardo are so great together in this scene also because what the EMH realizes is that he's going to need to kind of pull a captain's speech style motivation out of the quiver. Yeah. And it, it, it feels new and uneasy coming out of his mouth, but it's enough to give Suter the, the nudge that he needs to, you know, join this effort. I'm really glad it's the doc here. I'm also really interested in the reason why it has to be the doc here, because it's anyone else convincing Brad Dourif it's okay to kill, and that person <laughs> can be killed by Brad Dourif. That's a very dangerous situation, <laughs> but the doc is impervious to Brad Dourif here, so yeah. he can wind him up as much as he wants. Yeah, he could really work him into a lather. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be fine. <laughs> Here, practice on me. Come on, stab, stab. Yeah. I thought for sure there would be a moment where we saw Brad Dourif's hand holding a knife go through the doc's body or something. Yeah. Like, that would have been fun. He doesn't quite tip over that far. It's a controlled rage, Ben. One hologram and one sociopath may not be much of a match for the case on, but we'll have to do. On the planet, the uh, crew have come to realize that Neelix and Kess are missing, and they're like, we've got to rescue Kess. She was only two years old. <laughs> Unlike Luke losing his droids, they're not going to wait till morning to go to go look for him. Mm. And uh, we've got a gadget expert on the team named QVOC. And he's like, now uh, you're going to get this watch that shoots a laser beam and Chakotay, uh, what do you think about this bow and arrow? Chakotay's like, come on, man, twice in one episode? 
Are you fucking kidding me? You know, the first time seemed pretty tame because I was saying it about myself, but now that I'm hearing those words come at me, very hurtful, Tuvok. Very hurtful indeed. Uh, Tuvok's like, no, no, no. I was just asking if you thought I did a good job on making my bow and arrow because I'm actually awesome at this. I believe Tuvok when he says it, but I am also really glad they don't show the bow and arrow more than they do because this thing looks like a fucking piece of shit. (laughs) It looks so bad. We get a wide shot later where he's like drawing it back to full tension and like arrows are rocketing down the mountain at at his targets. But as he's fashioning it in camp, it looks like a drugstore bow and arrow that you'd find in like the toy section. With, with like little suction cup arrows it's really bad yeah they find this band of uh crows magnon and uh they've gathered around neelix and Cass, and they're speaking a language that uh, we don't understand because nobody's com badges are there i think somebody should have keistered a com badge oh yeah I was in jail with uh, 11 people, and somebody managed to sneak a phone in the holding cell. Not any phone you'd want to hold near your face, though, right? No, but there were 150 people marooned on this planet. You're telling me that not one of them could stick a comm badge in his shoe and get it past the Kazon? A crew person should be designated for keistering the comm badge (laughs) for just such a moment. Yeah. Any, any like, office building of a certain size, like, there's always one person that's got, like, an orange hat hanging in their cubicle because they've uh-huh. undergone half a day of emergency preparedness training. Yep. Somebody, Respect the orange hat. Somebody should have an orange hat and a, and a com badge in their butt. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. I love how Chakotay walks into this scene like Chris Pratt from a Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> like, he is so fucking cool. He is cool as a gherkin, Ben. <laughs> and he negotiates for the release of Kess and Neelix without knowing the language without knowing the customs, while turning down some sort of prisoner exchange that uh, that the tribal leader offers him. The Chakotay stock shoots up in this scene. I mean, volatile yeah. trading of the Chakotay yes. stock in this episode, but Be in this careful. scene, like, investors are really excited about this situation. Yeah. Be careful buying Chakotay coin. <laughs> All investments bear some risk, Adam. Uh-huh. We're not, we would never, but if the greatest generation had its own blockchain, what would our coin be called? Chakot I mean, coin is kind of fun. Chakot coin is, is as difficult to say as, as most word mashups we use on the show. It's sort of appropriate. <laughs> yeah. We just get Space Karen to take a position in it and we'd be off to the races, yeah. man. We'd be fucking rich. You're right about Chicote though, as a character. Uh, this is, if, like, if you went in there on, like, a rescuing POW's mission. Like, he's got backup here, which is what we realize at the end of the scene. But if this were a firefight from the start, it doesn't do anything for Chakotay's character. But that he walks in there the way that he does... I come without weapons. ...does the negotiation, does that that confidence move of slowly turning, walking away, and not facing the people who are going to try to kill you as soon as you leave them. Yeah. Uh, it's a great look all the way around. Huge, huge respect for this look. And 
uh, not the leader of the uh, of this band, but uh, a couple of the other guys decide that this is a bad deal for them, and they start chasing after them. And this is when Tuvok pops up over a rock, and uh, this guy gets arrowed. The suction cup arrow like is shooting so fast and hard that it actually penetrates the body. <laughs> it does all kinds of damage. Yeah. Uh, this turns into a pretty dicey situation where uh, restless natives are are pouring over the uh, over the pass toward the group, and uh, they're not you know they're not in numbers. Like the Starfleets have spread out to try and find them, and so uh, Chakotay leads Kess and Neelix and Kim and Tuvok into one of these dino caves, knowing that the local population will be loath to go into the caves with the chompy dinos. I'm just a local native on this volcano planet. (laughs) Your weird face tattoo frightens me. (laughs) All I know is that if somebody rear-ends another car, they bear (laughs) responsibility for that damage. (laughs) This has been Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer. Well, Things are just as inscrutable up on the Voyager where Seska and Kulla are trying to make repairs to the ship. Repairs necessitated by reasons they don't understand. Are they naturally occurring? Is this a maintenance issue? Or is it sabotage? One of these uh, Kazon engineers is like, I've, I swear, like everything was fixed and now look at this. And he opens a panel in the warp core and just a bunch of wooden shoes tumble out onto the floor. This poor Kazon guy just gets his pine cone smashed multiple times this episode. <laughs> you really feel bad it's for It's pretty him. rough. There's a scene where Kala is coming down that weird little elevator that you can like only stand one person on and there's no yeah. railing. Yeah. And he's like got his arm outstretched and he's pointing at this guy yelling at him. <laughs> <laughs> that is not how you want your boss to walk into a room. It's a threatening look. Bad. What's going to make Kula happy? That's my question. Having a ship that works would be pretty yeah. huge, I think. Brad Dourif and Doc Holliday actually watched this scene from Six Bay in another great moment of Star Trek characters watching Star Trek. A thing that we've like wondered about all the time is like, how extensive is the surveillance camera network on... A Federation starship turns out pretty pretty extensive. Yeah, it's a police state on there for sure. Yeah, it's fucked up. On the planet, the locals have uh, begun a brush fire at the mouth of the cave. They're trying to smoke out Chakotay and crew. And Chakotay proposes going deeper into the cave to try and uh, see if there is another exit, Mines of Moria style. And... Uh, this is when they they come across the chamber where this where this dino is sleeping. Anytime you come across a sleeping monster like this, why is the plan always to quietly scurry past instead of stab it in the fucking head while it's asleep and kill it? <laughs> They've got a bunch of weapons. They've got spears and and bows and arrows like like, everybody get gather around it and stab yeah. all at once. I gotta stab her three times. No, you don't gotta fucking stab her three times. You gotta stab her once. Tuvok really shrunk from this opportunity right here. Wait, you don't think you can hit a perfectly still monster snake, Tuvok? 
<laughs> How good at archery were you back at the you, academy? You nailed that one guy in the chest like five minutes ago. <laughs> Where'd your confidence go, man? We do a lot of cross-cutting here in the scene, right? So outside the cave, Janeway has assembled her, her B squad out there to come up with a plan to help. And yeah. as the inside the cave crew is scurrying past the monster... The outside the cave crew has created a diversion to put out this fire. They see the fire is like the main threat. They don't know what's happening in the cave. They don't know about the monster specifically. Yeah. But once they hear the noises coming from inside the cave, I think they're very clear at the dangers inside. And so this poor random crew person gets fucking chomped <laughs> in there. And this is the moment where my big idea of spearing the sleeping monster is disproven immediately because their spears <laughs> are useless against this thing. Yeah, they hit it with everything they've got. And yeah. it, like Tuvok is like fully legolossing this beast. He's like <laughs> just just like rapid firing arrows and uh No one's not... attempted to ride it and tame it. They 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 make the horrible, unthinkable decision of having to run back toward the fire. Chicote is like, can't you do that thing that Spock did with the whale, except like <laughs> like neck pinch it? <laughs> and Tuvok is like, that was a mind meld, Mister Chicote. <laughs> I do not want to share brains with this dino worm. <laughs> I have already melted with one monster this season. <laughs> it was Brad Dourif. So they do the they do the thing that everybody does in every movie and TV show when you're getting chased by something in a cave. You uh, you cave the roof in in between you and it. They run out. Uh, I especially love Garrett Wong's performance as he exited the cave. He like neon deons the camera position. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great work here. Looks great. Uh, it's got to feel so good to run and run somewhat full speed in Star Trek when you get the chance, because you so rarely get to. Yeah. Back on Voyager, they've they found the Thoron particles that the Doc gave to Brad Dourif to mask his position on the ship. Yeah. But this is a pretty standard issue, Makewee's bit of spycraft here. And so Seska... Seska knows exactly that something shady is up as soon as they start to pick up these Thoron particles. But the doc has gotten word from Paris that uh, he is he is inbound with Talaxians. And uh, he only needs one thing. He needs the uh, backup phaser relays to be disabled so that when he takes out the primaries and the Kazon try and switch, it won't work. Doc, you're not going to understand this, but uh, I left a pool game in progress in Sandrine's. <laughs> I'm going to need you to go in there and finish my game. Now, it looks like you're going to want to aim for the corner pocket with that eight ball. But I'm telling you, if you just bounce it off the rail and bring it back towards the side pocket, you're going to win the game. Can you do it, Doc? This is about when Suter tumbles out of one of the air vents, uh, just despondent that he's had to take a life. And uh, we, we see this. Kazon body like in the in the duct right why did brad duriff do all the stabbing in the butt though <laughs> like the doc rolls all over the body and he's like well i know the cause of death for some reason 13 stab wounds to the butt i didn't know what to do i didn't think i should leave him here but they could find him 
like, he was in the Jeffries tube in front of me facing the other way. That was the fastest way to get him. This Kazon died of sepsis. <laughs> you might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES. To save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, that's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. 
to get that black mood now. Are you planning a heist? Gold. In Captain Cullis' ready room. Big exciting news. Tom Paris's shuttle has been destroyed. Saska's like, how many how many bodies were recovered? And Cullis' like, I don't know, I didn't ask. <laughs> this is like any time I get off the phone with like the bank or something, and my wife was like, What what about this, this, and this? And I'm like, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I just did the primary thing I called for. I didn't ask for any more details. Yeah. If you want to ask those questions, ask them yourself, is Cullis' vibe. <laughs> to be clear, Seska and my wife were correct <laughs> in this analogy. <laughs> this moment combined with the Thoron particles thing is just, it's triggering Seska big time. She's, she's like, our pants are around our ankles and we didn't even know it. And now we do. We are about to get stabbed in the butts here if we don't tighten it up. <laughs> I wish more was made about Seska and Lon Suter definitely knowing each other when that time comes. Yeah. Because they could have made a ton of hay over it. Like, Seska learns it's Lon Suter as the survivor, and she's like, holy shit, we... <laughs> Like we abandon re- ship now. <laughs> we are fucked. Do not wait for the Tom Paris attack. <laughs> We're being wrecked from the inside. It's a uh, it's a real Seska uh, versus Suter. Whoever wins, we lose. Yeah. Matchup. Yeah. She uh, marches right down to Six Bay and confronts Doc Holliday, who has this butt stabbed. Kazon out on a slab, and she's like, what happened to this guy? What? Ha- oh my god, look at his butt! <laughs> the doctor's like, he, he, uh, it was, it was stabbed while he was doing routine maintenance. <laughs> you, you never seen this happen before? You worked in engineering, you know what it's like. <laughs> There he was, <laughs> bent over. <laughs> he was probably in a Jeffrey's tube and an exocomp came up behind him or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't get out of Six Bay much. People tell me this is normal. Anyways. <laughs> Seska's is like, I was, I, was wondering, I was wondering if you were capable of murder, but I didn't stop to consider the form of murder. <laughs> <laughs> and I really should have. <laughs> because it's much more troubling... Now that I'm seeing this. I was inspired by the presence of a master. Doc Holliday gives a, like, Romulan-level master class in dissembling to Seska here. He, like, agrees to everything she suggests in a way that, like, creates this totally confusing hall of mirrors of what the situation might be. Is he doing the murders? Is there a Maquis aboard? Is something else going on? There's no way to penetrate the answers that he's giving. And uh, by saying yes to everything, it's it's perfectly smokescreened. It's Doc Holliday's year of saying yes, and he uh, he winds up running for office. Yeah. I mean, if you did a background check on him, you'd see all of those bodies he stabbed in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't been able to disprove that. Doc Holliday claims that he's a medical professional. But what about do no harm? Do all of these bodies stabbed in butts mean? <laughs> Vote Seska this November. The candidate that's against stabbing people in butts. 
On the planet, uh, Chakotay has taken his interaction with the natives there to mean that maybe we can make peace with these people if we're going to be here a while. And it would be a good idea to do so because we've got a sick baby around and, I mean, we're going to need to build partnerships here, not just shoot arrows at people, right? It's really interesting because, like, the planet is really going to hell. There's all these, like, volcanic eruptions happening now. The... Voyager crew are moving as a group. The cavesmen are moving as a group. And Don't know if there's any more of those snake monsters out there. I wondered watching this episode, like, how prime the directive is. Because they didn't try to get stuck on this planet, but is the directive prime enough that they should have just let Neelix and Cass go and tried to, like, disappear and, like, never interact with the locals at all? Are they like are they like doing something that is like really fucked up in in federation terms right now? Cuz now they're like like Chicote is like making heroic saves of people that are like trapped on on lava flows and stuff. Yeah. She could wind up being Cro-Magnon Hitler. We don't know. An interesting aspect to this is that with all the good that Chicote is doing, Chicote is kind of the face of the marooned starfleets on the planet. Yeah. I mean the the Cro-Mags are going to treat Chakotay as the captain now. Yeah. In any future interactions, maybe that's the angle. <laughs> he's making a power play. It's like yeah. he's playing power play chess. The volcano banger results in their not being able to draw any conclusions from this conversation about whether or not to make peace or war. It instead yeah. just creates a conflict where Chakotay can once again act. Uh, I think his his stock going back up in this moment, though. So Seska phasers the wall panel that controls the EMH, leaving Brad Dourif in soul uh, as the soul uh, Maquis left on the ship. Uh, he finds like a video message from the doc that says like, "If you're watching this, I'm dead. Maybe I will never come back. And if I don't, here's what I want you to know." There's a pool game at Sandrine's. <laughs> Paris is going to be really fucking sad if he doesn't... Like, the guy came on board thinking that he was going to be, like, a, a real player, and obviously that dream got taken away from him. He's been very unlucky in love on the ship. This is kind of the only thing he has going for him. If he could win that for him, that would be great. Um, yeah, I've got a question. That pool game at Sandrine's... What happens to the balls if there is a banger on the ship? Is the holodeck on some sort of stabilizing gimbal that keeps the the balls on the pool table in place? (laughs) Or do the balls just go flying everywhere if the holodeck simulation's left on? Or is the simulated gravity in the holodeck unaffected by the overall gravity of the ship? Would you feel a banger in the holodeck? I'm going to go get a hot dog at the food stand. So I'll listen to my answer over there. Get a life. So the attack starts. It's uh, it's initially Talaxian ships making their run at Voyager, drawing Voyager into a nebula where Tom Paris is waiting. And uh, at this point, his shuttle is like, it almost <laughs> looks like a pine cone. There's so many decals <laughs> all over it. <laughs> yeah. He's the blonde baron. <laughs> and 
uh, and the you know taking the bait like a fucking rube, Kulla uh, chases these Talaxians in, and yeah. uh, and now now they're shooting up the phaser relays, trying to uh, trying to take out the primaries, and it's like no big deal, we've got backups, but they don't. No, you don't, because Brad Dourif sunk the eight ball in the side pocket yeah. in the holodeck. Kazon disruptor. When you absolutely need to kill every motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes. Yeah. Brad Dourif goes into engineering and literally takes out the entire engineering team that the Kazon brought with them and does the phaser backups thing. And when they try and shoot phasers the, the next time, it like KOs everybody on the ship. Yeah. Oh, and we should say Brad Dourif gets killed. I mean, I was going to say the success comes at a great cost because yeah. what do you think of Brad Dourif being shot in the back here? Like, if he goes down saving Private Ryan style, like face to face with a knife through the chest. Yeah. What does that do to his relative heroism? I found myself really affected that he went out shot in the back like this. Like, I like that, that he he was a hero. He hit the button in time. Yeah. He died from his wounds. As his final act, he hit the button. Maybe it was about sacrifice instead of being a hero, and that's what that's what made him one, you know? Yeah. He wasn't watching a six. He he put the ship and and the ship's interest above his own. I guess so, yeah. I mean it would have been interesting to have his death be another meditation on his savagery though. Mm-hmm. Like right. if it was one of those like pull himself along the spear that has been stabbed into his gut so he can get closer to the person that did it. And then he stabs the butt end of that spear into the other guy's butt. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, that's where all the butt stabbings were coming from. Yeah. The Kazon really do irritated well, I think, as a species. Because as, as their plans go to shit, Kula especially just cannot even deal with this. What's happening? And I I wanted to ask you this question. The suggestion and then the going through with the idea of abandoning ship here toward the end seems extremely premature. And I wondered if they had ever considered blowing up the ship instead of giving it back to the Federation. No! Like, it seems like uh, Janeway's way more interested in blowing up the ship than anyone else in Starfleet history, but yeah. the idea of leaving comes so quickly, comes and goes so quickly, that it felt a little bit... I think that I think that this is, like, a crucial distinction between the Kazon and, like, the Klingons, for example, is that the Kazon are not so tied to their own honor that they would, like, yeah. hold the line at all costs. This is a an opportunistic species and, or, or, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're like genetically opportunistic, but culturally they are based on what happened to them and stuff. And Kala is not a good dude. And so he is much happier just, just returning to his other perfectly good ships that aren't as good as the Voyager, but are serviceable and not getting into like hallway to hallway firefights with a bunch of Talaxians because like the shame of losing a yeah. battle to Talaxians would probably probably do a lot to undermine his maj status. 
the opportunity the color takes is the baby. Yeah. He takes the baby and leaves Seska behind. It's RSVP Suter and RSVP Seska in very quick succession. And I think I think the show has taken all the S villains off of the board. Yeah. You don't have a long future if you're an S villain. Pretty wild to take that many problems out of play at the beginning of a season like this. Yeah. Three arcs ended here. The Seska yeah. arc... The Gherkin three-parter. <laughs> and and suitors. And the Brett arc. Dourif three-parter. Yeah. So uh, down on the planet, uh, things have, have really turned around between the Starfleets and the Cro-Magnons. Yeah, after, after Chakotay turned into an over-the-shoulder caveman holder, <laughs> he, he saved one of them from a lava flow. Yeah, and... Uh, Everybody that was watching that was like, nice, cavemans. They're real, you know. (laughs) (laughs) The leader of the uh, cavesmen puts a little bundle of uh, local herbs in a a bindle and uh, puts it uh, under baby Naomi's nose and uh, lets her breathe it in. And that helps her with the weird atmosphere on the planet or whatever. It immediately grows the baby's forehead into a Cro-Magnon forehead. <laughs> he says, that why we look like this. Vic's forehead grow. He- heavy burden to bear, but we bear it happily. Who knew the Cro-Mags had a solution for baby colic? <laughs> a different Cro-Mag looks out into the distance and sees Voyager approach from orbit. And this should have been a moment where like the Cro-Mags freak the fuck out, right? What are the chances they've seen a Voyager before, if they didn't see it the first time around. Yeah, the Cro-Mags just, just in unison shit themselves. You got to be very strategic with where you play your theme song if you choose to do so in an episode, right? And this this is one of the few times you can get away with it. You separate yeah. the ship in the first episode of TNG, you play the theme song, <laughs> yeah. and then you return Voyager to its marooned crew in the third season, and you play the theme here. It's great. I like the still bedraggled and dirty crew getting back on board and like taking their posts without having gotten com badges sorted out yet. Yeah. Like, uh, it's a very funny piece of continuity. And, uh, I mean, like, I feel like they should give the Talaxians a fucking replicator for this. This, this was a really solid hookup. Dude. Yeah. I was pretty upset with how people had to call Neelix Sir on the surface. But now I feel like he should be a full-on commander of the ship. Like, <laughs> like Talaxians rule, and they saved the Federation's butt this time. Yeah. And the uh, ship, after uh, we check in with all the deads in Six Bay, warps off into the wild blue yonder. The very last scene is like a slow push-in on Kim's face at his station. He's like, I had to eat worms down there. <laughs> But on the other hand, some of those Cro-Magnon ladies were pretty fly. (laughs) Did you like this episode, Ben? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I did. It was was fun. I think it was pretty light. It it, it is kind of action movie for the most part with the one exception being the the pretty heavy stuff that Suter goes through and I don't 
I, I think that they were smart to introduce Suter uh, as many episodes back as they did and then bring that character back to have a storyline like this because if it had been a character introduced in the previous episode, I don't think that this would have hit the way it did. Yeah, you have to care as much as you do. But that stuff hits, and uh, the rest of it is really fun to watch. And uh, overall, I enjoyed myself. How about you? Yeah, I really liked it a lot. I mean, I like action movies, and I always have. So, like, those elements of it really worked for me. I wasn't implying that it's bad to like action movies, Adam. Did I say that, Ben? (laughs) (laughs) Look, I'm just grateful that we had Brad Dourif as long as we had him. Yeah. I'm going to try my best not to just be upset that he's no longer here with us i might be a little more upset at how seska went out than brad duriff's character like she she dies kind of off screen she just gets given the the sheet over the head treatment she kind of just died from the phaser thing that didn't seem to kill everyone or or did did kala do something to her she was such an interesting character and her arc was so long. Like I'm not I'm not asking for Seska episodes every season, but I really liked the tension of her just being out there somewhere and being as unpredictable as she was. So I am I'm sad that she's gone, but yeah. just it felt it feels like a very momentous episode in the series because so many threads were tied. Skulk Hogan going out too, like that death feels really big because we've spent so much time with that character. And but it's also a more or less off-screen death, like and yeah. and I think both of them feel like the they didn't hit quite as hard as they could have. A lot of people died, and outside the Kazon that was stabbed repeatedly in the butt, not a lot of images of death. You know, like these people died face down, or their bodies weren't recovered. Yeah. Like the suggestion of death versus the imagery of it. Uh, was definitely something I noted about this episode. You want to see if uh, there's anything noteworthy in the Priority One inbox? Oh, yeah. The suggestion of messages, really, more than messages (laughs) themselves. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental. 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 Yeah, it's extra. By the interest alone, could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature, and that message goes like this. Oops, All Monsters is a deadly, unserious podcast about creepy creatures and creations by two weirdos from wild and wonderful West Virginia. All right. I did that in one take. (laughs) Oops, All Monsters tackles the tough topics, like, is TNG's Armus really just a living Reddit thread? (laughs) Is Eugene Toombs' diet actually Kato? Is the Candyman Chicago's greatest hero? Hmm. You could try answering all this yourself, but what our theory presupposes is don't. Subscribe now to Oops! All Monsters. It's the only way to be sure. Fucking A. <laughs> wow. And that sounds like a fun podcast. I think uh, anything that can include... The Candyman and Armus yeah. in, a, in one podcast is bound to be good. It's mm-hmm. worked for us. Yeah. Uh, so you know what to do. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to Oops All Monsters and uh, and get that thing going. It's about monsters. 
Yeah. What else do you need to know? Adam, our next priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from your brother, and it's to Jer Bear. And it goes like this. I am sending this message, hoping you are still listening to Greatest Gen, and will hear it when you catch up to Voyager. Your reward for continued listening is Adam and Ben doing an impression of Kevin trying to sell one of his real dolls to Kern. <laughs> Hello! I am not sure why I am here. It looks as though this is a morgue. <laughs> if I could jog your memory, you might find that uh, these are not in fact dead bodies, but simulations of living women. For example, this one is a simulation of my late wife, Rashad. Why are there so many versions of the same woman. <laughs> I kind of have a type, I will admit. Do you have any models made from desiccated bird meat? <laughs> I can't help you there, but what I can tell you is that if you're an enthusiast of genocide, all of these were produced using genocide. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did not remember to bring my wallet or any other form of payment. If you'd like to leave your watch here, uh, <laughs> I'll let you take one home and come back with your, uh, with your wallet or whatever. I'd be afraid I'd forget to come back. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. <laughs> ben, our final priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Gary and it's to Bobo. Hmm. The message goes like this. Bobo, you will never hear this. <laughs> but I love you anyway. Love, Gare. Huh. It seems Just, like uh, people are kind of, like, threatening to stop listening in the P1s <laughs> today. Like, a lot of what's going on is people going like, mm, I'm not sure if we're sticking with this. Both Gary and your brother have, have sort of sidled up to the top of Anybody Canyon and have uh, thrown their P1s off that cliff. Thanks to your brother and Gary for doing that, though. If you'd like to throw a P1 off a cliff, go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Set it up today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. I did. I think it's going to be Janeway for me. Uh, that that moment where she just chucked the handful <laughs> of mealworms on the ground after making such a big deal about everybody needing to eat them uh, really made me laugh when I watched the episode. Uh, it seemed very Shimoda to me. So, uh, so she gets it. And if you're feeling amorous, don't just shoot ropes into the campfire. Find yourself some worms. <laughs> How about you, Adam? For me, it's Chakotay, just for so many scenes. Yeah. He's, he's the hero three times. I got to think that he'd rather die by lava than by that giant snake monster. That's the only explanation for why he so serenely wanders into a group full of melee weapons. <laughs> Uh, why he jumps on top of that rock, which for some yeah. reason isn't being melted by that lahar. I yeah. don't know. He's making moves. And he's not thinking about the moves that he's making. And I think that's a that's a great quality of any Shimoda to me. It sure is, Adam. Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. Why don't you head to the game of buttholes? 
Will of the Caretaker, while I tell you about Season 3, Episode 2, Flashback. Tuvok experiences a repressed memory that's linked to his first Starfleet assignment under the command of the renowned Captain Sulu. <laughs> Oh, I'm so excited about this episode, Adam. This is the one that's set partly in undiscovered country. It's the day of the big talent show. <laughs> and we need someone to sing a Vulcan tune. <laughs> yeah, a lot more uh, Tuvok singing in this episode. Man, this is great. I just can't wait. I'm really excited about this. This is like the Tribbles episode in DS9, huh? I think so, yeah. The, uh, yeah, George Takei uh, in the thumbnail for the episode. So, Wow, so it's really fun. him. It's really him. It's really me. <laughs> You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, Ben. Our runabout is is pumping on top of square 45. One square ahead is a Coco Nono episode. A couple squares past that. Uh-oh. Space butthole. To a different Coco Nono square. Got the die in my hand. Maybe the best chance of a Coco no-no is coming up. Yeah. Come on, Coco. I have landed on that space butthole, Ben. You know what that means. We're back to the second row. (laughs) So good news, bad news. Oh, Uh, man. Second row is bad news. Good news. Got a Coco Nono ep next. It's been a really long time since we've had a Tiki episode, Adam. I feel great about this. I do I, too. <laughs> you know, when we're full of Tiki beverages, uh, there's going to be a lot of Sulu impressions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Oh, man. I can't wait for next week. This is great. Yeah, yeah. big fun. In the meantime, if you enjoy the show, recommend it to a friend, or uh, if you've got Apple Podcasts, we'd love to get a nice five-star review on there. Keep our uh, keep our status as the best-reviewed Star Trek podcast on the on the platform. Yeah. If, unlike Kern, you have remembered your wallet, you can support the show by going to MaximumFun.org slash join, clicking on the greatest gen and the greatest discovery as the targets for your support. we got to thank Adam Ragusea, the creator of the Janeway song, our theme music, of course, based on Dirk Materia's Picard song, Adam Ragusea, now a talented YouTube chef. He texted us right uh, right while we were recording. He texted us during. Yeah. It helped me last longer to be a little distracted. Yeah. Felt good. Um, It's just one of the greatest dudes. Uh, We also got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy, who uh, runs the at greatest Trek social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter. Follow those accounts. Really fun to follow. And uh, we're putting more and more stuff out every day. Yeah. Join a, a group of friends of DeSoto on uh, any any social media network you care to point your browser at, minus like Telegram and Gab, probably. I don't even know what those are. I'm I'm, I'm delightfully in the dark about those. <laughs> and with that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the Greatest Generation Voyager that's turning the ship. Into the shockwave. Mr. Tuvok, why are you back there singing? Always with the singing, Mr. Tuvok. We are in grave danger. (laughs) Why don't you fetch me some more tea?
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.